Welcome to the Wellsteading Podcast. This is episode 173. Today is February 13th, 2016. I'm your host, John Pagliano. I'm also the founder, money manager, and investablewealth.com. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about what's going on in the market. I don't have a lot to say because the S&P 500 is remaining above that key level of 1850. I think we might be seeing a relief rally here that'll take us up to around 1950. I'm assuming not much more than that over the next coming days, maybe weeks. We'll talk about that in a minute. I also want to talk to you about a couple of trades that I made this week. And this all really revolves around what I think is the continuing problem we have with currencies. Really, we see a global currency war going on where all the major economies are devaluating their their currency. That's what's driving my decisions. And so in this episode, we're going to talk about that. I'll also remind you, uh, go back and listen to the previous episode. I talked about a summer selling opportunity for young people in Charlotte, North Carolina this summer. If you're interested, listen to episode 172 and then get in touch with me through wealthsteading.com. Also, just a little reminder, in the coming week or month or so, I will be up around Seattle, Washington and Portland, Oregon. If you're interested in a wealthsteading meetup, get in touch with me through wealthsteading.com. If we get some interest, I'll put together a listener meetup and we'll just informally get together and and have a nice opportunity to meet one another. So let's jump right in. Before I talk about the market conditions, let me tell you about what I purchased this week. And I did put these up on the day that I purchased them at my firm's website, investablewealth.com. What I'm going to try and do throughout this year is anytime I make a trade, I'll announce it first over there. So it's easy for you if you want to follow those. Investablewealth.com, you'll see up at the top, I think over towards the right, you can subscribe to the blog post, that's observations and commentary. Whenever I post some new information, you'll receive an email notification, but that's the only time you'll be contacted. I don't spam you, I don't sell your data, nothing like that. So if you want to follow me, that's the place to do it. So as far as my recent trades, on Wednesday, February 10th, I made a speculative trade shorting gold and I did that through the exchange traded fund DGZ. That's Delta Golf Zulu. For right now, I think that gold has been overbought. I think a lot of fear has moved into the market. I expect it to go lower. Again, this is a speculative trade. This is something that I only did with my personal money. I didn't use any client money for this type of a trade. It isn't that I wouldn't ever take an inverse position on gold with client money. Just in this particular environment, I didn't think it was appropriate. I felt that I was the only one that had the risk tolerance for it. I made that trade on a lot of assumptions, but one of them was what I put a a chart up to illustrate the, the point of how important trade volume is. Now you'll often hear me say that, oh, the markets were up, but it was in low, it was in low trade or low volume. And so that really didn't count. So I'm always looking at the price volume action. So where the price is moving of a particular asset class, is it moving up, is it moving down? And then how many shares are actually being traded? Are more people buying today than bought yesterday or are less buying? Well, normally you'll hear me talk about, I like to see when the price goes up and also the volume goes up when people are paying more for it because that's simple supply and demand. But that can also work against you. And that's why I thought it was important to put this chart up to show the relationship of GLD, which is the the main gold exchange traded fund that investors use to to track gold. And I put that up showing the price of GLD based on how many shares are traded of it. 
And there's a fairly good correlation between whenever there's a spike in volume, whenever a lot of people are moving into that trade, it generally changes direction. So if the, if the price of gold is going up and then all of a sudden you get a big spike in people purchasing GLD, it could mean that it's overbought at that point. It's a very crowded trade. And so you can expect the price of gold to come down at least temporarily. And then likewise, the other way, whenever gold is moving downward and then all of a sudden you see a big spike in trade, again, that may indicate that you have a change in direction and the price of gold is going to start going up. I have the chart over there on that blog post. It's, it's called uh, Speculative Trade Shorting Gold. I put it up on February 10th. Take a look at it. See what that chart means to you. Maybe you'll interpret something completely different out of it. Again, this is a speculative trade. It's not something that I'm advising other people to do. It's not something that I'm using client money with. Since I bought into it, I'm down about 4%, and that's because gold moved very high and gapped up on Thursday. It did come back down a little bit on Friday. Now, gold is a very sensitive subject. I know people usually either love it or hate it. And oftentimes when I short gold, I get negative comments or a little bit of hate mail having people tell me I'm an idiot, that it's a fiat currency system and, you know, yada, 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 all that stuff. Well, remember, I'm not a fan of the fiat currency system, but I am a fan of owning appreciating assets. And yes, over the last six weeks, gold has been appreciating. I think it's just gotten a little overbought. I don't know where the price of gold is going to be in a year from now, but for right now, over the next few days or few weeks, I'm betting that gold is going to come down some. Currently, it's at around $1,240 an ounce. That's $1,240. I'm betting at a minimum the baseline on gold is going to be around $1,150. Now, you may or may not agree with me, and the beauty of, of the stock market, what I love about interactions in the free market is it doesn't matter people's opinions. It doesn't matter when people agree or disagree. What matters is, is the price. And so as I hold this position, and again, over the coming days or weeks, and if this position turns against me and I start losing like 10%, I'd probably sell the position. But if it stays at the resistance level, which I think it's hitting, which is right around that 1240, 1250 level, and I think likely to move back down towards 1150, well, if it does that, I'll hold in for the trade. And the great part about this is my opinion doesn't matter. Neither does yours. If I'm right, I come out making a couple thousand dollars. If I'm wrong, I'll lose that much or more. That's it. That's the bottom line. It's all about making money and at the end of the day, where your net worth is. So I don't waste my time commenting on forums or places where people put out their opinions or I don't make comments on articles and things like that usually because I don't care. All I care about is whether my net worth is increasing or decreasing. So right now, if you think I'm crazy for shorting gold, well, maybe I am. Hang in there the next coming days or weeks when I close out the trade. I'll let you know whether it was profitable or not. doesn't matter about my opinion. It only matters about whether I'm making or losing money. While we're on the subject of gold, I'll also shift gears a little bit here and talk about Bitcoin. Now, that's something I usually don't discuss in this podcast because I really don't think at this point that it's an investment vehicle. It's certainly not an asset class. It is something that you can definitely trade and make a lot of money or lose a lot of money in. And, you know, I really look at it at this point as being very speculative. So I don't discuss it really here on the Wellsteading podcast. At some point, we will have uh, probably at least one or more in-depth episodes where we talk about cryptocurrency. 
I think it's definitely a coming trend. I think that even in the future, it'll be something that will be embraced by governments because unlike cash, every Bitcoin transaction is documented. And ultimately, that's what government wants is total transparency into people's finances. So I don't think Bitcoin's going to go away. I think that cryptocurrencies to some degree or another, and particularly the blockchain method, are something that are going to be with us for a long time into the future. Uh, but in any case, looking specifically at Bitcoin right now, though, it's not projecting the same fear factor that you're seeing that has caused gold to rise over the last six weeks. In fact, for the most part, as gold has been going up since December, Bitcoin's been coming down. I just throw that out there. I'm not going to get into a lot of analysis on it, but that's an anomaly I think you want to keep your eye on, though. Both Bitcoin and gold are indicators of fear and, in particular, concern over inflation and devaluation in currencies. And so when one's going up and the other one's going down, that's obviously a mixed message. And so, you know, that's something you factor into the equation. In any case, getting back to the trades I made this week on Friday, late in the day, I bought a position back in the U.S. dollar. If you remember most of last year and even into the year before, I had held some positions in UUP, that's Uniform Uniform Papa. That's the largest and most liquid ETF that invests in the U.S. dollar. It does it against a basket of about six or seven currencies, most of them developed world, so mostly against like the euro and the yen. So UUP isn't the best to own if you're thinking that you're going to get some appreciation against emerging market currencies. But the reason I like UUP is because it is so liquid. Remember the old phrase of Mark Twain, you know, you should be more concerned about the return of your principal than the return on your principal. And so whenever you're investing in an asset class, you want to make sure that it's not something that only is appreciating, but you want to make sure that there's liquidity there so that when you decide to sell it, whether it's going up or going down, you can get your principal back. There are a lot of great exchange-traded funds and exchange-traded notes that can help you invest in certain uh, niche areas of the economy. You know, whether it be emerging markets or focusing commodities like, you know, investing in cocoa beans or investing in coffee, things of that nature. I mean, there's these great ETFs out there that can give you exposure to that. But at the same time, a lot of them don't have a lot of liquidity, which means that when you go to sell, maybe there's not going to be enough buyers there and it'll take down your your bid and ask price. There'll just be a big spread between them. Now, if you're only investing $1,000 or something, probably not a concern to you, but I'm investing a lot more than that. And so it is a concern to me. And so particularly when I'm talking about investing client money, I'm very conscious of looking for very liquid assets. So getting back to UUP, is that the best fund to invest in for the U.S. dollar? Well, maybe not the best, but certainly the most liquid at this point. That's why I tend to focus on it. So I had been in that most of last year. I was in it the previous year. I'd gotten out around, I don't know, January 5th or January 7th, something like that, because it had broken the support level that I was watching. And I was concerned that as interest rates uh, started to move back down and as the S&P 500 started to roll over, that would obviously drive interest rates lower and then consequently the U.S. dollar would move lower. That is what happened. From when I sold it to when I bought it again on Friday, it had come down about 
Now, the reason I'm invested in the U.S. dollar and in UUP in particular is not because I'm trying to make a, a killing in the market or hit a home run. I'm very concerned about overall market conditions, and so I'm protecting my principal by staying primarily in a money market fund or some other type of cash equivalent. You know, as long as you're in cash on a nominal basis, you're not going to lose. So when the market's down 14% and I'm sitting in a money market fund, although I'm not really making any interest on that, I'm also not losing principal like I would be if I was in the S&P 500 or the Dow Jones or some other dividend paying type stock. So that's the advantage to cash, but you know, there's two sides to every coin. And so the disadvantage to that is, is that you are not making any interest. And so when I see opportunities that I think are very stable, something that has a very flat beta, where it's maybe not going to go up a whole lot, but it's also not going to pull back very much. When I see a trend in something like that, I do try and invest in it as a, quote, safe haven or a safe opportunity. Now, it's not safe in terms of you're not going to lose any money, and I'm not encouraging anybody to go out and invest in the dollar right now. I'm just saying that when I look at a chart of the U.S. dollar, I see a very flat to slightly appreciating 200-day moving average. That's stability in a market right now that's very instable. And I also see the U.S. dollar trading well below that trend right now. Now, generally, it hovers around its 200 or 100-day moving average. So much like I felt that the trade in gold right now was crowded and that it was overbought, I think that the trade in the U.S. dollar is oversold. And so consequently, that's why I moved back into it on Friday. Again, it's not something I think I'm going to get rich off of or I'm not going to hit a home run on it. I put no more than 25% of my portfolio into it. If the dollar moves up to that 200-day moving average, we're looking at about a 1.5% increase from where we are right now. If it gets up to that 100-day moving average, we're looking at uh, probably more than a 2% increase, and that's where I'm looking at the dollar to go. I'm looking at it in terms of the UUP. If you look at the UUP, it trades right now for about $24.92. I'm looking at the baseline on that pretty close to about where the 50-day moving average is, which would be around around 2550. I think that the dollar over the course of 2016 will be above 2550 as indicated by the UUP. So that's a good two and a half or more percent from where we are right now. That's why I'm putting about 25% of my portfolio into that because while that's not going to make me rich, that is going to offset things like inflation and things like transaction fees. And if I'm wrong, it's only 25% of my portfolio, so I don't lose a great deal. On the other hand, if I'm right, it adds a little bit to the bottom line. And then that also keeps me in a very liquid cash position where I'm preserving my wealth and I'm able to jump back into markets when I see the trend turning the other way. So that's why I invested in the dollar this week. Take that for what it's worth. I'm not offering you advice or recommendations. I'm simply telling you what I do and the rationale behind it. Hopefully that'll make you not only a better investor, but it'll help you with developing critical thinking skills. As far as overall general market conditions, the S&P 500 closed on Friday at, at about 1864. That's above the 1850 level that I've delineated as kind of the line in the sand between a healthy market correction and a bear market. So as long as the market is above that 1850 level, we know we're not in a bear market. And so there's really no reason to panic. It doesn't mean that we won't drop further. As long as the S&P 500 can stay above 1850, we don't have to worry about the market collapsing. Now, it has dipped below that level in the past few trading sessions, 
But again, on Friday, it closed above that. So I'm not saying that the market is in good shape. I'm just saying that it's not in a bear market. If the market can't hold that 1850 level, and personally, I don't think it can, then long term, we're going to see lower lows as we get into March and maybe even into April. Certainly sometime during this first half of the year, if things don't improve, we could see the S&P 500 dropping down 10% or more from where we are now, putting us squarely in a bear market and putting the index somewhere in that 1700, if not 1600 range. If that occurred, that would be the biggest pullback that we've had in about five years. So we're well overdue for one. And I have no idea whether we'll experience it or not, but I know as long as we stay above 1850, by definition, we're only in a correction. And right now, that's where we're at. I personally think that the market's headed lower, that we are going to fall into bear market territory, but the market doesn't go straight down or straight up. It always ebbs and flows. And based on the really positive action that we saw on Friday, I think that the market may have perhaps bottomed out, at least for the short term. The market not only closed up on Friday, but it was up nearly 2% on the S&P 500. And this is despite the fact that we're moving into a long weekend. And that's generally when traders get jittery and they like to get out of the market. That's not what we saw on Friday. And in fact, leading into the close, we saw the market go up significantly. I think that's a positive sign. The market's currently above its five-day moving average. And so over the coming days, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see some type of a relief rally. Now, I think it would be very challenging for the market to get much up above 1950. Right now, the S&P 500 50-day moving average is around 1967, somewhere in that range. I think it's going to hit really hard resistance at the 50-day if it can get that high. But you know, from where we are right now to 1950, that's about a 4.5% move that I think is quite likely. But we'll have to see how the market opens on Monday. I'm already starting to see some positive news coming out of the Chinese New Year. Uh, the press is really going to talk that up about how consumer spending is up in China. That's all pretty irrelevant to us. But in any case, they're going to look at any bit of good news they can to drive the market up. And so if the market doesn't gap up too much on Monday and you're willing to take a risk, that may be a good time to get in and see if you can catch some of the short-term bounce. And then if the market can really get some momentum and move up above its 50-day moving average, the next level of really strong resistance is going to hit right around the 100-day moving average at about 2,000. I would be really shocked if it could get above 2,000. We'll have to wait and see. Today, I just want to talk about currency war that we're seeing, and it's why I've been so upbeat on the U.S. dollar for these past couple years. Despite all the good news that you hear, we know that we're in a global slowdown because the only way that countries can keep making any type of an advance is to take on more debt and to eventually devaluate their currency. Now that's all going to be well and good until we start seeing defaults. And we may never see defaults, but if we do, that's when we know that there'll be real trouble and perhaps another financial crisis. As long as these governments and companies can keep rolling over their debt and kicking the can down the road, then the stock market stays afloat. So as far as the currency war and the devaluation of currencies, what I really want to focus on in today's episode is the Japanese yen and the Chinese yuan. I believe that both of these currencies are going to move lower, and that will also consequently force currencies like the Australian dollar, the Canadian dollar, the European euro, all those to move lower as well, and that's why I recently moved back into the U.S. dollar. 
It isn't that I think that the U.S. economy is doing so spectacular. It's just that the U.S. is the best house in a bad neighborhood. And so even if our economy doesn't improve or even if we don't increase interest rates, as long as other countries devalue their currency, the U.S. currency rises. That's the phenomenon we've seen for probably at least the last 24 months. I don't think that trend is over yet. So as far as the Japanese yen, it has actually been performing fairly well so far this year. But that strength has been derived not because their economy is doing so well. It's occurred because as the carry trade contracts, the yen always benefits. I'll get to that in a second. One way that I know that their economy is not doing well is that despite the fact of all the interest rate cuts that they've had and despite the fact that they've had major interjections from their central bank and vast amounts of quantitative easing and the Bank of Japan is openly not only buying Japanese government-issued bonds but also a variety of other debts and even equity positions in publicly traded companies and despite all that, their economy is still slipping into deflation and just recently they had to move to negative interest rates. So despite what they say, we know their economy is not getting better or they wouldn't be in negative interest rates. So now the counter argument to that, you may be saying, well, John, if their economy is not doing better, why is the yen getting stronger against the dollar? Well, oftentimes you've probably heard the yen referred to as a safe haven currency. Whenever things go bad in the global economy, the yen goes up and the talking heads on TV all refer to the yen as a safe trade and the safe haven currency, and that's really all backwards. What they imply is that people are moving into the yen because they feel that it's a more stable currency or a stronger government, and that could not be farther from the truth. The Japanese economy has been in a recession for over 25 years. Their debt-to-GDP ratio is something like 225% or 250%, far in excess of where the U.S. is. From a demographic standpoint, their population is declining, and they're really in some type of a death spiral there. We'll have to see how that all works out. So the reason that the yen goes up during times of international uncertainty or trouble isn't because people have faith in the economy or the government of Japan. It simply has to do with the carry trade. Japan is the largest developed economy with the lowest interest rates. And so whenever things are good and you want to invest or speculate in the market or buy into a stock market, whether it's the Chinese stock market or the U.S. or the European stock market, whenever you want to do that with leverage, with borrowed money, the best way to do that is to borrow from the country that offers the lowest interest rates. And in my example, I'm talking about buying into the stock market, but the same thing would apply with whether you were buying real estate or investing in factories or whatever type of debt-based expansion you want to take on. If you're an international investor, what you want to focus on is the currency that offers you the lowest borrowing rates. And that's what we've had in Japan for decades. And so when people want to leverage up and take on debt, one of the best countries to go to is to go into Japan and borrow Japanese yen and then to use that yen to buy other types of assets, whether it's to invest in stock or whether it's real estate or to build factories. You want to do that with Japanese yen because that's where you could borrow one of the world's most developed countries with a very stable currency at the lowest rates. All that borrowing, though, in Japanese yen causes the currency to eventually move lower. And the Japanese government has been encouraging that by taking on additional debt themselves. That keeps their exports comparatively low when Japanese products are bought in Europe or in the United States. 
And so if you're an American consumer and you're buying a, a Honda or a Toyota, you're happy that the yen is trading lower than the U.S. dollar because you can take your twenty-five dollars or $30,000 and go out and buy a very good Japanese-made car where some of the price of that car has been offset because of the difference in currency. So you see that as a value. That helps sell more Japanese cars and other Japanese products throughout the world and it keeps their economy moving along. So that keeps the Japanese exports flowing and consequently why the government of Japan likes a weak yen. Now the reason that the yen rises during times of global economic trouble is because all the international investors that had borrowed money in yen and had put it into risky assets, well they become concerned and they want to take off some of the risk. And so they sell their real estate or they sell their stocks and they take the capital that was raised from that and they pay off their debts in Japanese yen. That consequently raises the value of the Japanese currency. And so over these past three or four weeks, when we've seen a lot of turbulence in the global markets and we've seen the U.S. stock market come down some 14% off its highs from last year, well, with all the fear in the market, those carry trade positions are being closed and those yen debts are being paid off. And so we've seen the value of the Japanese yen increase. Earlier last year, the exchange rate was something like 124, maybe even 126 yen to the dollar. Well, right now, it's at about 113. And that's because all this risk has been taken off the markets. These positions were converted to currency. That currency happened to be yen. That influx into the yen caused it to appreciate. At the same time, people were fearful and they were taking their U.S. dollars and instead of buying assets with it, they were investing in something very safe like three-month treasury bills. That drives down the yield on U.S. treasuries and whenever the yield comes down in treasuries, the value of the U.S. dollar comes down as well. So right now, as you see the strength in the Japanese yen, don't think that that means that the Japanese economy is doing well. It actually means that the Japanese economy is doing poorly. That's why they had to lower their interest rates and why consequently they're going to further devaluate their currency because they want to make their exports as affordable as they can. And with the yen trading at about 113 to the dollar, they're not as competitive as they were when it was trading at 124. So they're going to do whatever they can to devaluate that currency to help their economy. You'll see that occurring over the coming weeks and months. I believe that it will help the U.S. dollar move up because not only will the Japanese devaluate, but the Europeans will have to do the same thing with their euro. Now this takes us, the Chinese yuan has pretty much been pegged to the U.S. dollar. Now there's been some fluctuations here and there, but for the most part it's pegged to the dollar. And what's happened over the last say 24 months. Well, the U.S. dollar has appreciated about 25% against the other developed world currencies, say like the, the Japanese yen and the European euro. And so consequently, since the Chinese yuan is pegged to the dollar, it's appreciated as well. That means the Chinese exports are 25% less competitive than they were 24 months ago. That's one of the reasons that over this summer, the Chinese devaluated the currency by about 2%. And you'll probably remember the adverse effects that had on the U.S. stock market at the end of August. Well, I think there's a whole lot more devaluing to come for the Chinese yuan. Let's just do some simple math. 
We know that things are slowing down in China. And again, despite how much the headlines are going to tell you that they're moving to a service economy, that their domestic consumption is expanding, that's all well and good. But China has been the factory to the world. And over the last year, we've seen their exports slow down by at least 15%. This is a country that for about a decade had been growing at double-digit growth rates has now slowed down to somewhere with official numbers around 6 or 7%. I'm more inclined to believe that that growth rate is probably something like 2 to 4%. And so for China to remain competitive, they need to devaluate their currency just like Japan has been devaluating theirs. And let's think of it on relative terms. If the U.S. over the last two years or so has appreciated 25%, and Chinese currency about that same amount because it's pegged to the U.S. dollar, that would mean that China would have to devaluate their currency about 25% just to get back to where they should be if they weren't pegged to the U.S. dollar. So if they devaluate about 25%, which is what I think is very likely, that will put them in more of a competitive environment when they're competing with exports from Korea and Japan and Taiwan and, and other places in Asia. So that's why I think it's destined to happen. And I not only think that it's going to go down 25% just to get even, because if I was in the Chinese government, I would say, well, we not only have to get even, but we have to get more competitive. And so I think it's likely that they would not only devaluate 25%, but maybe even upwards of 50%. Now, the reason I bring all this up is because think back to the end of August when we saw the flash crash. A lot of that disruption and uncertainty, not only in the U.S. stock market, but in the global stock market, occurred because China stepped in and devaluated their currency just 2%. Well, what's going to happen if they devaluate 25% or 50%? I think that's likely to occur, and I think that will send further shockwaves through the global economy, further reinforcing this currency war that we're in, causing Japan and Europe and Vietnam and all these other places to, again, devaluate their currency because we are in a global slowdown and everybody is rushing to the bottom to try and get the most competitive advantage that they can for their country's currency. Now, just like lower gasoline prices, that's going to be very good for the U.S. consumer. But at the same time, you've seen what impact lower oil prices have had on the general stock market and the economy because while that's good for the consumer, it's also bad for the high-end sectors of the economy that have either been involved in oil and gas exploration directly or have been supporting them in a secondary or tertiary role. So all these things are related. Lower oil prices, falling commodity prices, countries devaluating their currency – it all points to a global slowdown, which I believe is why we're going to see our markets in the U.S. drop to lower levels. I can't see the future. I don't have a crystal ball. I can't work a Ouija board. I'm just drawing these assumptions based on the market indicators that I look at. You'll need to think about them for yourself and use that to help you make your own investment decisions. So for now, I still remain primarily in cash. I'm back into the U.S. dollar in a small way. And as I see the market ebb and flow, I'll be taking on additional positions, some of them over a very short period of time. I think that eventually when the dust settles, there's going to be some excellent money-making opportunities in the market. Now that hasn't occurred yet, and so what I'm going to do in the meantime is take smaller positions over shorter periods of time to pick up 3 or 4% any chance I get. And I'll do that and bide my time until I do think we've reached a bottom, and then it'll be time to jump into the market 100%.
But I think that time is a long way off for now. So I invite you back for the next episode in this continuing saga of what's going on in the markets. Until the next episode, this is John Pugliano wishing you the very best of returns.